Sorry, forgive me for not standing up. We are getting our house ready to sell, and so you know you're moving stuff all the time. And when you're six foot five, you know you just hurt your back all the time. <laughs> so once again, here we are. Um, but this uh, this class, this is kind of the second of three classes. Uh, this one is about um, uh, it's three classes called parenting panels. And the deal is, is we're just getting parents who um, who are not perfect, um, but good parents. And we're just basically asking kind of the questions we'd like to ask parents. We, we respect and we feel like they have a lot of wisdom about different parts of spiritually leading your, your children or spiritually investing their lives. So I, the point, I'll tell you the premise of this class, and I'll pray, is um, premise of this class is I think a lot of times we have the idea that you really have to be like a just, you know, an A plus super knowledgeable, you know, PhD caliber Christian as a parent and or in order to spiritually invest in your kids. We all kind of have this idea, a lot of people have this idea that like, well, you know, if I were like Mark Ginolette and I had a PhD, <laughs> well, then I would be equipped. And so we feel the sense of inadequacy. And in reality, so I've, I've been a youth minister now for 11 years. I kind of see behind the walls of a lot of people's houses and, and families and the spiritual dynamics. I just tell you, like, there's no, there are no, like, perfect Christian parents. And, uh, you know, we talk about things like, oh, pray with your kids every night. Like, there's no one who prays with their kids every night. You know, it's true. Or, you know, we read the Jesus Storybook Bible to our children, like, every night. That doesn't happen. Like, no one. Like, the, the greatest Christian parent in the world, you know, is, is maybe hitting it about 60% of the time. And so part of, um, part of what we're trying to do with these classes is demystify um, what it looks like to spiritually invest in your kids' lives and to show you just how simple it is and just how not perfect and not great you have to be in order to spiritually invest in your children's lives. Um, would someone might, Alice, would you mind closing that door? Thanks so much. Um, I'm going to pray. We'll get started. Um, Lord God, thanks for your goodness and your loving kindness. Um, thank you that you've uh, given us children. Um, whether that's our own children or our children in whose lives we have the opportunity to invest. And uh, I pray that in this time that you would, um, you would humble us and that you would uh, show us how, how capable we are by your grace and with your spirit. Matthew's prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to talk for about, um, I'm going to talk for about 12 minutes. That's the aim. And then we're going to have the actual, uh, you know, uh, uh, I and several other parents, we're going to sit up on the stage here and kind of, have a panel. I'll lead it at the beginning, and then you can ask questions. But um, I'm going to start out talking about um, today. We're talking about sharing the gospel with your kids, or sharing God's word with your kids. Like how how does that happen? And so I'm going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 11. Um, Deuteronomy, fantastic book of the Bible. Uh, if you have children, I would um, I'd really encourage you to maybe to read it. Uh, it's about 33 chapters, so you could do it in a month if you take you know a chapter a day. Um, and uh, basically the point where Deuteronomy occurs in the Bible, it's in the Old Testament, it's before Jesus comes. And so a lot of the Old Testament traces the redemptive history of the Israelites or God's people. And so, you know, their, their story begins with God making a promise to Abraham that, you know, he would, he would be their God, he would offer them salvation and relationship, and that he would prepare a land for them, a promised land. And so, you know, they are enslaved in Egypt for generations and generations, like three centuries. And then, um, and then they are released from slavery. <clears throat> Moses leads them out 
of Egypt across the Red Sea, and they're, you know, then they're journeying on to the promised land, Canaan. Um, and so, uh, but they you know, spend 40 years in the wilderness before they go in. And Deuteronomy is kind of in that sequence, it's the last book before they enter into the promised land. And the deal is, is that only two people who were going to go into the promised land had actually seen the parting of the Red Sea, had actually, you know, been enslaved in Egypt and been released. And, um, and so the, the question was, how are we going to transmit the faith to the next generation? How are, how are our children going to be faithful to, to Yahweh, God of the Bible? Uh, and so it really focuses on, and, you know, spiritually investing in children and seeing, seeing, like, seeing the, the, our faith uh, carried, carried on by our children. And so, um, so we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 11. And I'm going to go over it real quickly. I'm not going to do justice to this like extremely rich text. But um, so starting verse one, and you probably most of you probably have Deuteronomy, the the little sheet sitting there. Um, all right. So Deuteronomy 11, <clears throat> you shall therefore love the Lord your God, and keep His charge, His statutes, His rules, and His commandments always. And consider today, since I am not speaking to your children who have not known or seen it, consider the discipline of the Lord your God, His greatness his mighty hand and his outstretched arm, his signs and his deeds that he did in Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all his land. And what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses and their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea flow over them as they pursued after you, and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day, and what he did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place, and what he did to Datham and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, son of Reuben, how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and every living thing that followed them in their midst of all of Israel. For your eyes have seen all the great work of the Lord that he did. All right, so we're leading up to this portion of the text where he's going to talk about how you share the faith with your kids. But he starts by saying, remember all of the things that God did um, in our journey to this point. And so, um, you know, remember how he led you, delivered you from favor. Remember how he sustained you in the desert. Remember different works of his holiness and his justice. And so starting point, you know, think, keep, keep in mind, so he's leading to this point of sharing the gospel. And what does he start with? Remembering God's character. And so, you know, point number one, um, point number one is that, like, the starting point for us in wanting to, like, share God's word or share the gospel with our own kids is for us to remember who God is. Us to remember what God, is, what God has done in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Like, that's what's going to kind of motivate us. We don't, I don't, we don't want to necessarily approach this. I mean, yes, certainly it's a duty, but um, you're going to be far more motivated to, uh, to you know, enter into the somewhat awkward and tricky business of talking to your kids about spiritual things when you remember um, how, how, um, how deeply God loves you and how, how beautiful God is uh, and, and um, yeah, what Christ has done for us in the cross. And so that's a, that's a starting point. And... Um, you know, notice too, he says that the kids had not seen this. The kids had not, you know, the kids had not seen what God had done in delivering from Egypt. And so how is it that they were going to, how is it that they were going to pass on the faithful? They were going to share the stories. Like they were going to share the stories of what God had done. They were going to share what God had revealed to them in the scriptures through Moses. And so, um, and so that too is, it's a similar thing for us. Like none of us have, have ever, we, none of us saw Jesus crucified. None of us saw him resurrected. Um, and so, so that is, uh, you know, sharing about what we know of God through his word and how we've seen God work in our own lives, how, we, how he's worked in our family's lives, 
lives, that's uh, that's a big one. I, I for myself, I can remember my mom. I, my mom had a lot of problems with pregnancies before she had me. She'd had two kids, but she had like four miscarriages before she had me, and it was just very much like advised that she not try to have any more kids. And so I can remember my mom talking about like how faithful God was that I was born healthy and that I was a full-term pregnancy, and and um, and it just I don't know. It was just it was a way that a powerful way that my mom kind of shared that my life had significance, but also she credited the Lord. She didn't say, you know, Dr. Richard Osband, like he was the great doctor. I mean, she said it was the Lord who, um, who did it. So example there. So that's a, that's a starting point. Sorry. I'm just like rifling through this like a machine gun. Sorry. Um, all right. So going on verse eight, you shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and take possession of the land that you are going, um, that you are going over to possess and that you may live long in that land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them and to their offspring, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land which you are entering to take possession of, it is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated it like a garden of vegetables. But the land that you are going to over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water by the rain from heaven, a land that the Lord your God cares, cares for. The eyes of the Lord are always upon it from the beginning to the end of the year. You will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. He will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the later rain, that you may gather in your grain and, and your wine and your oil, and that you will give grass in your fields for your livestock and you shall eat and be full. Take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no, no rain, and the land will yield no fruit, and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as signs on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. All right, so, you know, he is making this promise of like, you know, I'm giving you this land, uh, remain faithful to me that I might prosper in this land, okay? This is gonna, this can sound kind of like health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Hey, be good, and God will give you a fancy house and a nice car, and beautiful children who behave well. Um, that's not what he's saying. For us, when we when we talk about um, when we talk about when we think about the land, the promised land, for us, that's a promise of God's presence. Um, that's kind of uh, concrete. The the promised land um, points to uh, really it points to heaven ultimately. But as far as you know, the the promise that we would kind of interpret from this is this promise of God's presence, like the joy of being in the presence of the Lord, the hopefulness of being in Christ, um, the peace of, of you know, Christ being your king. And so point to be made here is we also need to think about why, why is it that we want our kids to know the Lord? Um, not so that they'll behave well, and that would be great if they have good Christian character. Um, certainly that's hopefully the fruit of knowing the Lord. But also, too, um, a motivation is that uh, your kids would, would have the most satisfactory, joyful, peaceful, hopeful life possible, which is found in the presence of God. And, and found an intimate, dependent relationship with Christ. And so, again, I'm just trying to kind of get over the, um, dispel the, uh, the motivation of we just need to do it to be a good Christian. Or like, I'm a parent and that's my job. Um, that's just not going to last very long. But if you think in terms of like, I want my kid to know the Lord because I want my child to know, the, you know a deeper joy than anything the world has to offer. And so, um, so that's a second thing. The, again, he's, he's saying all these things leading up to the key point which is uh, share, the, uh, share the gospel with your kids. And also, too, notice he's talking to the adults, basically for them to maintain their own spiritual life. 
He's saying, you know, you, you remember the word. Like, you, you obey my word. You follow me. You listen to me. And so that's another thing, too, is uh, us uh, as a parent, main, like, you know, what's the best thing you can do for your kid? The best thing you can do for your kid is for you to have a daily relationship with Christ for you yourself. Because out of that, number one, you're going to remember the character of God. You're going to remember the joy of what it's like to be in Christ. And that's going to motivate you. But also, too, if you're maintaining your own spiritual life, there's a lot better chance that you're going to be humble. Um, as Your tone is going to be humble if you talk to your kids about the Lord. And uh, that you know, you're going to be um, repentant when you screw up in your own house. And nothing will turn a kid off more than a parent who's talking to them about Jesus and the parent is, you know, loses their temper and a jerk and does not acknowledge it, does not acknowledge their own sin before their own children. And so, um, and so anyhow, basically, before he comes to the, you know, the crescendo of this, he's saying, remember who the Lord is, uh, and, and, and like you yourself, um, seek the Lord daily. Uh, and so that's the second thing there. And the last thing, and here's the, the big part. Uh, you shall teach them, this is the commandments and the works of the Lord, to your children. And, the, you know, like I said, this is the main part where we're talking about passing on the faith. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house and when you are walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above them. So there are um, three characteristics here, and this will kind of be our jumping point, our jumping off point of the panel. And number one is we see that he talks about it in an organic way, like sh- talking to your kids about God's word, talking to your kids about you know what Jesus has done, talking to them about you know the love and the grace of God. Um, that is an organic thing. It's you know when your kid has gotten caught cheating, and you talk about hey you're a sinner and that's why Christ came, you know. Um, it's when your child uh, is very worried about something and you say, I, why don't we just pray for that? And, you know, and just in a very simple way, Lord, help Jimmy with his ACT. Amen. You know, um, it's, when um, it's when your child is, you know, their girlfriend broke up with them and they're really disappointed and you remind them of the approval they have in Christ. Um, and, you know, it, it's when you screw up and you apologize to your children. It's, it's just in the day-to-day that the opportunities pop up and you, you enter into them. It, it's not, I think a lot of times it feels very awkward, like, all right, kids, let's sit around, and tonight we're going to read from Leviticus 18. <laughs> That's a great thing. I mean, I, I had a roommate, I had a roommate, and their family would read through the entire Bible every year as a family. Like, hey, A-plus Christian of the year, Right. That we, we have not accomplished that in our house, um, <laughs> and I don't expect really, <laughs> I don't know anyone else in the whole world who ever has. That's great, you know, and that's formal and that's fine. I just find that the, the majority of opportunities to share the gospel with your kids is when, um, is in organic situations, when they just kind of pop up in the car playing sports, uh, you know, over the dinner table, rushing out the door to, to, get, to, um, to get to school, so on and so forth. The second thing is, is it's informal. Um, it, you know, it's it, like it says, it, you'll talk to your kids. You know, you'll teach them, but it says talking of them when you are sitting down. So it can be formal, but it can also mostly is informal. And I think in terms of the awkwardness of that, when it's informal, it's just much easier to do. You know, I think uh, we all know if someone says like, hey, we need to talk, 
don't you just immediately get anxious, right? <laughs> or like, hey, let's talk about something. It's like, oh no, oh no, oh no. The awkward, you know, the awkward con- the awkward meter starts to go off the charts. But if it's just, you know, as we're going along, then hey, a lot, a lot more, a lot more easy. And then finally, it's creative. It's creative. Notice it says, you know, you'll um, you'll write them on your doorpost of your house and on your gates. You know, basically, um, it, it, it might look different in different situations. And I know, uh, you know, a, a parent in our congregation, and she like packs her kids' lunch every day. She'll write a Bible verse, you know, on a note card and put it in their lunch every day. Um, that's awesome. That's creative. But that's powerful. You know, that really says that really says something to her kids. Or someone who signed their kid up for um, like one of the Bible apps where it'll like send you a Bible verse a day. By the way, God bless you if your kids in our youth group and they're on the Remind 101 because they get three Bible verses a week from our automated little thing. But um, but anyhow, but it's creative, you know, and and so it might look different. You maybe I know of a kid who, um, you know, the mom will put on the, on her mirror, you know, different scriptures on note cards because we all know what uh, you know, what a, a nemesis, what a diabolical nemesis the mirror is for an adolescent girl. And so, um, so anyhow, so it's creative. It looks different ways, and um, it looks different in different ways, and it you know has different forms. So that's um, that's that's all I have. So why don't we? Um, do you want to go up and we're gonna? It's gonna feel very. Would y'all rather sit here, or would y'all want to sit up there? Let's sit here. Yeah, in the spirit of informal and non-awkward, right? <laughs> All right, so why don't I introduce um, our expert parents? No, just kidding. <laughs> our normal parents, um, Mary McGinnis. Why don't you tell us about your your um, your kids' age and whatnot? Okay. Um, I'm Mary McGinnis, and I have two children. I have a son, Ford, who is 16 and a sophomore at Macaulay, and I have a daughter who is an eighth grader at Mountain Brook Junior High. <clears throat> And I'm Virginia Hornsby, and John and I have two children. One's 20, a senior at Auburn, and the other one is actually, she's 20, and a sophomore at Furman. And we have a child that's 22 and a senior at Auburn. And I'm John Hornsby. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I am the small children at my house. I have a one, well, almost one, almost three. And she's the kind of teenage, and they're, sorry, teenage, yeah, teenage. And they're the uh, they're the old veterans. No, college <laughs> college age. So yeah, all right. So first question: What makes it so awkward for parents a lot of times to talk to their kids about Christ? I'll think about it a minute because <laughs> it's awkward. And <laughs> um, I think for me, I'm so concerned about lecturing my children that I try to wait for a prompt from them to say anything. Um, and I try not to get into so much detail that I lose them and they are reticent to come to me again because I've talked too much. So when I get the prompt, you know, I say that quick prop up, prop up prayer, Lord, give me the words, give me the wisdom, please speak through me. And I take a deep breath and I try to make it very brief Sometimes I use scripture if I can um, feel like there's one to apply. And if I don't have that sense quickly, I share um, what God's taught me in those situations. And again, just being very aware 
of the eye contact, of the gentleness mm -hmm. that sometimes I don't feel, but I want to have. And um, I think those would be basics that I would share from what we did with our children. The only thing I'd add to that is um, sometimes they all of a sudden they're 18 and they're about to go to college and you feel like they need a lecture, you know, especially if it's a boy. Um, and, um, and you feel like maybe I should have been more formal sometimes. And, but anyway, um, uh, you just before you're about to send them off, I remember with our son, um, he had been very blessed with people like Cameron and Oscar and others who had been a, played an important part of his life. But um, the important thing for me to him was to that he have a relationship with Christ. I knew he had accepted Christ. And so Ephesians 1, 13, he was sealed, as was Mary Shelton in the Holy Spirit. But I wanted him to have a relationship with Christ. And um, so I sat down. Is Lauren in here? I thought I saw her walking. There you are. Um, Lauren, who was on Crusade staff, uh, I was involved with Crusade many years ago. I had my first child when I was 40, so that'll help you. But um, um, there was a booklet that they talked to, called, the, it's changed its title, but it's um, How to Be Filled with the Spirit. And um, I just sat him down and went through some of that and gave it to him thinking, well, he can at least hold on to this, you know. And then as he um, um, was about to go off for his sophomore year, I, I got the family around together in an informal way, Cameron. It was, I'm not sure it was, formal <laughs> yeah, formal <laughs> sign. And we sat down and I went through the booklet again for the family. Mm -hmm. And when everybody left, he came up to me and said, that was for me, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yes. But so, so I do think there's a season, a lot of seasons where you're just trying to live it. I, we love when we have conversations with them about the Lord, and we love those dialogues. And then there's sometimes you just feel like, I can't let him go off to school without making sure he knows this, or at least I've said it. I think for me, what what makes talking about the gospel and, and Christ difficult with my children is the fact that I'm so acutely aware of how imperfect I am and that they can see my imperfections. And like Virginia said, I don't want to come across as I'm lecturing, particularly when I know how broken I am. Um, and in times like that, you just have to ask for God's grace that he gives you the right words and that they, it's a blessing that they see your brokenness. So, you know, there's nothing more powerful than saying, you know, it's hard for me to, I don't always get it right either. And you know, the very thing I hate is the thing that I do and the thing that I love I do not do from Romans. And so it, there's a lot of prayer to help with the awkwardness. <laughs> I, I feel like, and I'd be curious, you can do some head nods here. At this phase, you know, like having like a three-year-old and a one-year-old, I don't feel like it's super awkward right now. You know, they just want to, they're just like all about the Jesus Storybook Bible, you know, they're all about, you know, tell, you know, they, Mary Matthews likes to, you know, negotiate more and more stories to, you know, defer bedtime. So it's not awkward. I, as a youth minister, you know, I I'm probably have like five one-on-one -on -one meetings with students every week. I can tell you it's definitely awkward. It's more awkward. So, I, you know, and there is this sense with teenagers where I feel like, uh, I don't want them to feel, um, I don't want them to feel like our relationship is contingent upon their, like, spiritual success, you know, or, um, and so I, a lot of times when I talk to teenagers, we'll be like, 
hey, you can tell me you're an atheist, it's cool, but I'm just, there's a, I read a statistic in a magazine that student, that majority of students do want their youth minister to ask them about their spiritual life. So, how's it going, you know? <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll say this for you, I'm like, and it's okay if you want to tell me that you don't believe in God and you're just not sure about any of this stuff. So I kind of, you know, open it up so they don't feel that. But with my, with my you know, little bitties, I kind of have the sense of, like, I want to make hay before the sun goes down. <laughs> because I know it's going to get more awkward and the opportunities are going to be less. So uh, while, there's a, while there's a time a time where it's not and they want to read the Bible every night and talk about this stuff, you know, we're, we're all about it. All right, next question. Um, how have you seen, like, the way that you talk to your kids about Christ uh, evolve through the different seasons of life from like small children to even you know, elementary, adolescence, college, whatever it may be? Um, well, like you said in the beginning in the, and when they were little, there was lots of Jesus storybook Bibles and lots of just telling the stories about what God had done from the Old Testament and the New Testament. And as it's evolved, um, I think that my son probably struggles with his own faith more than my daughter does. Maybe it's his age, maybe it's his circumstances. Um, he has had more struggles just as a person than she has making friends and you know, doing well in school and beating himself up too much. Um, and particularly in the last six months, I've gotten to be really honest with him. And in fact, the last time he was home, he and I were talking about prayer. and how sometimes he feels like he prays and prays and prays and God's just not listening to him because really he doesn't get what he wants. God's not doing what he wants him to do. It's not that God's not listening, but I don't want to say that to him because then that just shuts him down and he's not going to be open with me and it may push him farther away from God. And so the conversation actually evolved into, Ford, it's much better for you to shake your fist at God than it is for you to turn your back on him. And he is, he, he's, he's God. <laughs> he can handle it. I mean, we talked about the Psalms and, you know, sometimes David shook his fist at God. And so things like that. With my daughter, it's evolved into, gosh, it's so important to me that she knows that her identity is in being a daughter of the King of Kings and not what the world says a girl should be, you know, pretty, perfect, blah, 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 blah. So, um, it's it's evolved with her into talking about who she is and what it means to be adopted by God as a child. So, and we have always prayed with our children, and we let them start out praying, you know, very typical children's prayers. And our daughter would open her eyes during the prayer and ask. She'd work her way around the room and say thank you for the doorknobs and for the light bulbs. She's a very specific child. And um, thankfully those prayers have continued to grow, but that's one thing that we have really tried to help them mature their prayers. There was a time when we did decide to start praying prayers from the Book of Common Prayer with them, just because of the beauty and the depth and the gospel message contained in those. But we first were very intentional in making sure they were comfortable talking to God in their own words, in their own terms, and whatever was on their heart, even when that was light bulbs. And we've um, continued to hopefully encourage that prayer life. Um, I have oftentimes put on their bed scripture that I have prayed for them that day. 
Mm-hmm. And when they have specific, and I still mail it, I email them now. When they've asked me to pray about something, which is one of the great joys of being a parent. Um, when there's a scripture that I pray specifically for them, I email it to them and say, this is what I've been praying this week for you. Um, one little thing, this is an aside. If you have little boys, one of the most fun things we ever did was clear off the dining room table and put out all the army men. And I would have them, God gave me the story of the men of Jabesh Gilead. It's my favorite story. And Stanford and I would lay out the army men and the Philistines, the walled city. I don't know how familiar you are with that story. But you get the end of the story books later when Saul has been um, basically beheaded and he's on the Philistine wall. And after all these years, the men of Jabesh Gilead go back and they retrieve the body of Saul and take it home. It just got him involved in the scripture and it made it real. And we reenacted so many Old Testament battle scenes using those army men. (laughs) It was so much fun. And I it usually ended up being the Philistines that were attacking, and the Israelites, you know, would typically win. That was okay, too. <laughs> but um, it, it was great. It was, and I think it made the Bible so real to him. It continued to translate itself and inculcate that sense of reality to what he continued to read in the Bible. That, that's a very small aside, and it's specific to children. They have the boys. Thank the Lord for mothers. <laughs> I love those answers. And um, because, I mean, both of which speak to the relationship, again, with Christ, that it's a relationship. You can talk to him and um, talk to him very candidly. And he loves that. And um, But I think the one thing that maybe stayed the same through it is... Um, is that there are just certain concepts that I wanted my children to have, and that is we do worship a supernatural God, and, and the time is eternity, and that, um, uh, that we can pray. In fact, we're commanded to pray to him and surrender everything to him. And so when we're into these discussions, it, whether it was when they were young or older, I wanted them to understand that this is not a religion. This is a relationship with Jesus Christ and um, and and so the answers would come hopefully in that way also that um, um, as you approach him in prayer which you're commanded to do which is really freeing for me because um, I grew up up to probably the age of 18 thinking I can only pray for missionaries in very serious situations which I found myself in a few times from 16 to 18 but <laughs> but when I found out I could pray, in fact, was commanded in Philippians 4, 6, and 7 to pray for everything, you know, with thanksgiving and, and uh, the peace of Christ will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That was so freeing to me. So now I was praying about everything, uh, very frankly sometimes and, and sometimes um, more gently. But um, in the sense, in, from their perspective, I wanted them to see the answers were coming from that relationship perspective and that prayer to go back to prayer is that the object of that faith was Christ not their good works they weren't going to put their faith in the prayer they weren't putting their faith in any good works they weren't putting their faith in faith 
they were putting their faith in Christ. And so it didn't matter how they approached him, it's that he was the object of their faith. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite quotes of Spurgeon was, I looked at Jesus and the dove of peace flew into my heart. I looked at the dove and she flew away. And I, I tried to emphasize to them um, to put their faith in his word and not in their feelings, not in how they feel. I don't feel saved today. Well, you're saved. Read the scripture again. I don't feel this. I don't feel worthy. You're, you're not worthy. Read the scripture. <laughs> um, but, but that you put your faith in Christ and not your prayer, not your faith, not your works. Um, and those concepts come about when they're little all the way to when they grow older. And, and our work is not finished, so we stand before you humbly. Um, when Cameron said we come with our inefficiencies, I thought sitting there, I said, with my wife of 26 years and my dear neighbor of 13, there's no way to hide my inadequacies at this stage. <laughs> the only other thing I would add to that of how it's evolved is um, to have transparency with the Camerons and the Sarahs and the Katies. And I've often called Cameron and said, hey, this is going on with Ford. Can you pray for him and can you be in touch with him? And so depending on the fellowship of saints, the community that God has put in our path to, to help. Mm-hmm. I think that's particularly true when they become teenagers and they go into orbit um, because they really do kind of emotionally go into orbit with their parents. And so, yeah, you're right to like, I mean, it's not manipulative. It's just, you know, being honest with the people who are, who are in their life about what's going on and, um, and kind of advising us on how we can, you know, speak into your child's life and pray for him. There's really had no, uh, you know, uh, there's no evolution in, in my kids. <laughs> they know they haven't had a child the past three, so uh, there hasn't really been much of an evolution uh, in the way we share the gospel with our kids. Um, the next thing I'll add, well, one thing I think is interesting I've heard you guys all three say is how prayer is a means of sharing the gospel with your kids. Um, because I think just the act of praying says something. It says, you know, the Lord is someone that is, it's a relationship. It's someone that we can talk to. The Lord is someone who hears us, and the Lord is someone who longs to help us. And so, um, so that, yeah. And I heard one of you say you will send your, you said you'll send your children scriptures that you pray for them. Um, I think I'll hear from students that it's incredibly powerful for them if they have a test or something they're worried about, and if their parent sends them a text message to say, "Hey, I want you to know I just prayed for you." and it's, I think it's a powerful statement of, from a parent of how much you love your child, that you're thinking about them when they're, when they're not in sight, but also, too, about, you know, your trusting Lord for their life. Um, all right, so next question. Creative ways, um, oh, running out of time here. Creative ways that are um, different kind of concrete ways that you found yourself sharing the gospel with your children. Um, I'll, I'll just start and say that uh, I find that music is a very, very um, helpful tool in this. Um, there are, there's like a Seeds of Faith family worship CDs. That's just scripture set to music. And it's very helpful for me. I'd say most of the scripture I've memorized will come off the CDs. Um, but, you know, that's easy. You're in the car and you like, you know, pop in one of those CDs. What's the, honey, what's the one we have that has, it's like very short scriptures Hidden in your heart. There, yeah, there's that. But there's another one that's like very short. The one that has that great I am with you always song. 
over and over again. Anyhow, there are a million of these CDs where, you know, and for we have, there's one that we have that's like, there, it's never more than like eight total words. And Mary Matthews will be like singing these songs. There's a, a pastor theologian named C.J. Mahaney who says that um, songs are just good theology that are easy to memorize. And so that's one thing, just popping in the car. There's a, I think we'll talk about it next week. There's supposed to be a class on, cate, on catechism, um, like families who do catechism with their kids, but there's the whole catechism set to music. Um, and um, whole children's catechism set to music. And so, and it's not like totally dorky, but the, I think music is a really good way. And then, um, what was I gonna say? Um, yeah, at this point, that's probably the most like, that, oh, that and non-Christian stories that um, that portray the gospel. So uh, any Llama Llama fans? Llama Llama mad at Mama? Yeah, all the Llama drama. You know, because in those stories, the theme tends to be that, um, you know, Llama Llama has a come apart and, and Mama's merciful to Little Llama and Little Llama gets his act together when he sees Mama's love for him. And so that, and then also Love You Forever, you know, a great story it does get very creepy when the mom puts a ladder, <laughs> yeah. puts the ladder up into her, um, you know, up into the child's room when he's an adult and she climbs in and picks up her adult child. It's very creepy, but we, I don't read that part of the story. I just, you know, I'm just going to skip those pages. But anyhow, like the boy is bad. He's bad in every phase of life. And his mom sings this song to him. You know, I love you forever. I like you always. Anyhow, but anyhow, songs like that that kind of portray the gospel and uh, Mary Matthews I don't think cognitively is at a place where I can like connect the dots with that but there's a foundation of, of the, the, the gospel story that we can come back to so those are two things in our world um, and really briefly and in the same vein both of my kids are big movie buffs um, so we watched uh, together Friday Night Lights this summer because it was football and Ford like that and we talked about um, those relationships where you could see Coach Taylor being graceful to Tim Riggins and, and what that looked like and all that kind of stuff. So for older kids, secular movies that Absolutely. that show God's grace, just grace. I know um, we always love to read to our children, and um, I was blessed that all, every summer until my son He'd be embarrassed if he knew I was telling y'all this. Until he was, I think, 16 years old, every summer, this is what we would do. We'd sit at the kitchen table and eat our sandwich or whatever while we played dominoes. And then after that, clean up, and we would go directly to the living room, and we'd read a book. And sometimes we would read it. I would read aloud for 30 minutes to an hour with a 17-year-old and a 15-year-old, and it's because I never stopped. I was determined. I read from them at the time they were three weeks old, and I decided I wasn't going to stop until they just, it was obvious. And, <laughs> and, you know, after 17, 16 or 17, you know, the time, he has a summer birthday. It, it, was, it was over. But we read some amazing and some difficult books together. We read Victor Hugo. We read, um, oh, some C.S. Lewis, not a lot. But books that we, again, were not strictly religious. Flannery O'Connor came in there at some point. But even to this day, they're always putting a book on my bedside table for me to read so we can talk about it. And um, it's one of the delights and blessings of my life.
and Stanford just finished uh, a biography of Luther, and um, it was fascinating to hear him talk about it. Um, I'm a slow reader, so I, I love for him to tell me about it. John what, read the first three chapters of The Hobbit because Stanford asked him to, and that's as far as he's ever gotten. <laughs> I'm glad I had the microphone. I do have co- <laughs> I, I, I do have plenty of copies of this booklet for you to want one. For me, uh, sometimes, particularly as the children came older, particularly my son, it was for me, sharing the Gospels was sharing my own story. Um, I'll share one particularly. Um, my roommate and I, who, he was a believer. Um, we were in our dorm room at the fraternity house. Late one night, the door gets wrapped on. We're in bed. We open the door, and it was somewhat predictable who might be coming through. And here he comes, and he's sprinkling us with you know, scotch or bourbon, you know, blessing us as the Christians of the fraternity or something. Then he heads out. And I loved him and um, <clears throat> and loved my brothers. And and then fast forward, I finished school. Um, four years later, I'm in Montgomery. I'm at the apartment. Phone rings. I pick it up. And this guy's calling me saying, John, I've become a Christian. Fast forward two years, I get a call. John, I want you to be a godfather of my child. Um, to tell my son that in that story is a lot of a story, right? We, I didn't leave the world. I was in world um, we we had persecution like he's had persecution and our children have persecution from junior high on probably but I love to tell the stories that he knows I've I've been through what he's going through and that we're together on this and, and Christ was with me through it and um, and God worked through it years is a long time right but um, to see his faithfulness in that was a blessing all right. Well, um, awesome. Thank you all so much. Uh, I'll say a quick prayer for us and then vamos. Um, Lord, thank you. Uh, Lord, give us the grace we need um, and uh, the, the courage we need uh, to do the things you call us to do. I ask you for in Jesus' name. Amen.